You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. Get used to that. You know, we've talked before in here about 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love, right? And uh, it talks about all the attributes of love. And it says, if we have all these things, we speak of tongues of men and angels, but have not love, uh, it's worthless. And we've talked about before how when it says that we, we need to have love, that it's not just talking about us loving. It's not talking about us having the ability to love or us having love for each other. What it's talking about most of all is we need to possess the love of God. We need to have the love of God in our lives. God's love for us is much greater, much better fulfills those attributes of 1 Corinthians uh, than we do in our love for each other. So today we're going to be talking about love. We're not going to be reading from 1 Corinthians, though. Uh, If I could real quick, I'm going to have my family stand up. They're visiting from out of town. So my parents are here from San Antonio, and my sister's here from Arizona. Yeah. I just want to honor them because, you know, my dad was a preacher, uh, my dad was a traveling minister. My mom was my teacher growing up. And so this, this uh, next part, anybody have a headache in here? We need to pray for you if so, because this part might, might give you one. If, uh, if you could put that first slide up, Whitney. We're going to go over some math. Like I said, my teacher, because I was homeschooled and when I went to private school, my mom was one of the teachers there. Uh, so, you know, she, she was the one who taught me math. But this goes a little bit beyond what I learned in school. Not yet. That's not beyond what I learned in school yet. You guys, you guys have gotten this far, right? Everybody, everybody, this one should make sense. Three times three is nine, right? That makes sense? Okay, so we all know that multiplication is, it's a big upgrade from, from addition. So we can add to something, and that's great, but multiplication, you know, significant change. Three times three is nine. Three cubed is 27. So it's, it's a big jump once again. You know, we still just have the two threes there, but when we cube it, Multiply it by itself three times. Now it's a much bigger number. Three times, I mean, three cubed is 27. Let's go to the next one. Now that one is three cubed cubed. Now that is not, you know, you see there in the parentheses, that's not three cubed and then cubed again. Uh, what it actually is, if you go to the next one, it's, it's uh, three cubed and then you cube that cube. So I have those parentheses wrong. It should actually be the top, the top three should be cubed. But that comes out, or up, see I missed my own notes. I should have written some of this down instead of just gone on the slides. Okay, so three cubed and then cubing that result would come out to 19,683, but that's not what three cubed cubed is. So if we go to the next one, we'll see what that actually is. It's a bit of a big difference. You can see when, when it starts having letters in it, you stop doing math, right? And you go, you go eat dinner. <laughs> but, but when you put in your calculator, let's find out the answer to this, and it doesn't, it gives you letters. I mean, just quit. It's 7.625-5974-E. Okay, which actually, if you go to the next one, it'll show what that comes out to. It's a little over 7.5 trillion, or 3 to the 27th power. So, from 3 cubed, we had 27. 3 cubed cubed, we're now in the trillions, right? Let's move on. If we try to cube it one more time, if anybody wanna break out their calculator and try it, if anybody wants to get on Google and try it out, if you try to go three cubed, 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 you're just gonna get an error. Go ahead, keep it going for me. That's actually what it would come out to if we wrote it out. That's not 37 trillion, that is three 
to the seven trillionth power. <laughs> three to the seventh trillion power. So if three to the 27th power came out to 7.5 trillion, 7.6 trillion, whatever, three to the 7.6 trillionth power, you start to get an idea that this is gonna be a pretty massive number. So to give you an idea of what that number is like, a computer might calculate two to the 64 billionth power. Maybe some computers will, some won't. That's a pretty big number. The number of particles in the universe, in the observable universe, is about three to the 180th power is what scientists estimate. So at this point, we have three to the seven trillionth power in this number. I'm gonna explain what this number is. We're getting to, I'm getting to a number called Graham's number. Now this number is a number so big that we literally do not know what it is. Now scientists don't like to admit that there's things we don't know or can't know. Not only can't know now, but we never will know it. This number, we don't, don't jump ahead quite that, that far yet. But the number I'm about to share with you, we will never know. It is impossible for us to know. Because as you've seen, right now, the number is so ridiculously large that computers can't calculate it, computers can't store it. It's larger than the number of particles in the universe. We're, we're getting pretty ridiculous yet, but we haven't scratched the surface. So yeah, we'll jump to the next one now. To get a little further, uh, to be able to represent bigger numbers, they came up with a new, a new annotation method called Nuth's up arrow annotation. So instead of writing cubes and writing over and over again, they came up with these up arrows. The first one's pretty simple. Three up arrow, three is three cubed. Are you getting a headache yet? All right. Three up arrow, up arrow three means that we're gonna have a stack of three threes. Now, when you get to three arrows, it starts to get more complicated though. It is no longer, it's not like you'd think, like it's just add one more three, but now you take the first three, 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 which we came out with what, 20, 27 for three. I'm already, I'm already lost, let's go to the next one. It's not three, three, three. This is so hard for even me to keep up with. So three, two up arrows, three is three, three, three. That's the 7.6 trillion, there we go. That has 13 digits. The answer to three up arrow, up arrow, up arrow three has 3.6 trillion digits in it. So now we're jumping up quite a bit. We've gone from a number that makes a certain sense, we can find a way to annotate it. This is about the furthest we can go. If you go to the next one, we'll show using, using exponents, we can still come out to, okay, it's 10 to the three trillionth power, etc. And that's, that's the last number that I'm gonna share with you that's easy. That's the last easy number. That's something we can still kind of write down and still kind of make sense of, but that's not where we're getting at. So after that, what this guy Graham did was he took this number, three, up arrow, up arrow, up arrow, three. So now you're gonna take all that and you're gonna do it again, basically, on top of itself. So we're, we're just, it's completely unimaginable number. You can't, you can't write it down in any normal annotation. You can't calculate it. You can't even think about the number yet. And this is step one. Then you take the number that that results in, the number we can't calculate or think about, and you put that many arrows between the next set of two threes. Then you take the number that that results in, and you put that many arrows between the next set of threes. And you do this 64 times. <laughs> so if you go to the next slide, here's what he's trying to answer. There's, a, there's this question of how many dimensions of a cube can you make where you see this bottom one with all the red lines? Okay, we want to avoid making any square that has the red X, red lines all along the outside. How long can we avoid doing that in red or in blue if we're connecting every vertice of a cube? 
Now we're gonna go beyond a cube and in the next slide you're gonna see a tesseract, a hypercube, a four-dimensional cube. So now we're talking kind of like space-time here. We're talking about taking a, taking a cube and then shifting it forward in time and connecting every point. It doesn't show every point connected, but you're gonna draw a line from every point to every other point and can we still avoid uh, getting that, that one configuration of all the same color on one side? And it's possible. So they, this guy, I guess he was pretty lonely, pretty bored, pretty confused. It drives me nuts even trying to understand you know, what he's saying, listening to this stuff. But he sits in his basement, I guess, for a couple of years or something, and he, figures out, he wants to figure out how many dimensions do we need to make this cube before you have to have one side that's all the same color. And that's what this answer is to. So Graham's number, and by the way, it's no longer the biggest number. <laughs> Even though they can't write it, uh, it's no longer the biggest number used as an answer to an equation or to a, to a theory. But it's such a big number that, that some people have joked that literally if you were able to consider the whole number, your head would turn into a black hole because literally you have to have so many particles in your head to be able to even have the whole number in your head at the same time that you would turn into a black hole and destroy the world. So don't try to think about Graham's number too much. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. We're, we're done thinking about it already. But today we're gonna talk about dimensions, the dimensions of God's love. Because in Ephesians 3, 16, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might be able to, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So God's love has dimensions, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at some different dimensions of God's love. And you, you get that here, I mean, with a cube, we have height, we have width, we have depth, right? And with this, God describes some dimensions of his love. So the first one we're gonna look at is width. And I'm gonna equate that to God the Father. Now when we, when we talk about the Trinity, when we talk about the aspects of God, we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? But in the Old Testament, we primarily see the activity of God the Father, yet almost nobody in the Old Testament knows him as Father. David's pretty much the only one who, who calls God Father in the Old Testament. He was just God. He was the big guy in the sky, the big powerful one, you know, who would occasionally uh, tell them what to do or protect them. But he displayed his power, and through his power he displayed his love. And we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 6. Starting at verse 13, it says, go find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. Then report, then report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And now to give you a little bit of backstory here. This king is very upset because all of his efforts against Israel are being thwarted. Because every time he goes to attack them or go to do something, the prophet will say, hey, he's coming to this city. So, you know, like he can never have a surprise attack because the prophet is always saying, he's gonna, he's gonna come here. So they go fortify that area. The king's thwarted. So this evil king is like, okay, well, what we're gonna do is we're not gonna go against Israel. We're not gonna go against the king. We're gonna go get the prophet. We're gonna go get the guy who keeps seeing what we're doing. We need to get rid of this guy, kill him. So they go and surround him. Says, so 
What shall we do? The servant asked. And when this, we'll go to the next verse. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Elisha, sorry. As the enemy came toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you were looking for. And he led them to Samaria. You gotta love this. This is just like the force in Star Wars, right? These are not the droids you're looking for. Not not the person. Let's come this way. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of the men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were inside Samaria. In other words, they had just walked into captivity. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Right? He's all excited. Like, yeah, you just brought all my enemies here and just like laid them down. Like, okay, we'll die now. Okay. And he doesn't kill them. He throws them a party and lets them go. But God did his thing. Now, one of the primary roles of a father, you know, is is to provide protection and provision. Now, we see God's power revealed in those ways over and over in the Old Testament. You know, we see God, uh, you know, providing for Israel in the wilderness when he provides manna, when he provides water from, from a stone. Uh, we see him bringing them into the promised land. We see God parting the Red Sea and closing it in on their enemies. God's power revealed in protecting and delivering his children that he's taking care of them. That everywhere along the way, God is showing his power and his love for his people through his power. How many of you guys, you know, you've been going through some things lately. How many of you guys would like to, to have your eyes opened up and see angel armies fighting the battle for you? Well, you know, whether or not your physical eyes are open, you can open your spiritual eyes right now and you can recognize through faith that angels are fighting your battles for you, that God is fighting your battle for you and that God's power is revealed. His love for you is revealed through his power to protect you, through his power to provide for you, through his power to fight your battles for you, that God wants to go before you and God wants to defeat and thwart your enemies. And he will. Because he loves you, because that's part of his love, because that's part of his fatherhood, that's part of who he is. As a dad, I want to protect and take care of my kids. And that's what God does for us. So God's power is revealed in his love, his power to protect, to deliver, and to provide for his people. So that we would grasp how wide and how long. So here we're going to look at Jesus, the son, and God's pursuit for us. God's love is revealed in his pursuit for us and the great lengths that he went to for our redemption. You know, this is the, this is the classic one, right? That we, when we think of God's love, honestly, we think of Jesus, right? This is, I mean, this is the easy one because we've seen God's love in, in the story of Jesus. We see God's love so clearly in the fact that he laid down his life for us. But we're gonna look at, a, at another story that Jesus told actually in Luke chapter 10. And, uh, let me, let me just ask you guys a few questions here real quick. Uh, some spiritual symbolism in the Bible. What does oil represent? Anointing? The spirit? All right. What about, what about wine? The blood? All right. Awesome. Uh, what about being naked, as Pastor John always says? Right? What does it make you think of when, when, when I say naked? Does that make you think of Adam, anybody? You think of, you think of 
of guilt, of shame. Well, we're gonna, and what, here, here's another one. How about priests? What do what the priests and Levites make you think of? The law, the Old Testament, leaders, okay. All right, well, we're gonna read this story with some of that in mind. It says in Luke 10, 25, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we gotta keep that question in mind here. That's very important that we don't get off subject. The, the subject is, how do I get eternal life, right? It's a question that's pretty important to just about everybody, besides Christians, besides other religions. I mean, throughout history, people have even looked for, you know, the fountain of youth, that they could stay alive here forever. It's, it's been important historically that we want to live. We want to not die. This is an important question. It's an essential question. What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And we'll wait right there for a minute. So in another version of the story, they ask Jesus, which are the two most important commandments? And he says, you know, and it may, be, it may be a different situation, very similar situation, but Jesus answers in that, you know, love, your neighbor, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. In both of these, though, they're not making up something new. They're not just summarizing it in their own new way. They're quoting Old Testament verses to answer the question about the law. What does the law say? What's written in it? And uh, this verse where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, is, is kind of the key to this story. And that is uh, from Leviticus, if you could put that verse up there for me, Whitney. I think it's Leviticus 19, 18, hopefully. This is, where, this is where this answer came from, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't make it up, this guy that Jesus was questioning didn't make it up. Do you have it back there, do you need to? Okay. Do not seek revenge, Leviticus 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, what does that say? It says, against anyone among your people. Among your people. This was written to the Jews. This was written to the Israelites. This is part of their law. And it says, don't bear a grudge. We believe in not bearing a grudge, right? Don't seek revenge against anyone among your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. So who is the neighbor in this context? It's other Jews, it's other Israelites. I mean, it's pretty specific among your people because I mean, right after this, they go into Canaan, right? And they, they have a lot of grudges, they have a lot of wars, they have a lot of things going on. They have a lot of times where they're not so much loving the whole world, but they're called to love their neighbor. They're called to love fe fellow Israelites, fellow Jews, the people living among them. And nobody else is allowed to live among them. So now we'll go back to the, to the story in Luke. So Jesus, you know, the guy asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what do you think, basically? You know, what's in the law? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, hey, that's a great answer. Go do that and you'll have eternal life. How many of you guys think that's the key to eternal life is loving God and loving people really well? Loving God and loving people really well is the key to eternal life? I don't, I don't know. I, I, think, I think there was people in the Old Testament. Loving God, that seems like a pretty good answer because we gotta have God in our life to have eternal life. But... There were people in the Old Covenant that loved God really well, but they didn't have what we have today. Something's missing from that equation. So we're gonna go to the next verse after, after he says, uh, do that and you will live. But this man, wanting to justify himself, 
ask Jesus who is my neighbor. Now he's wanting to justify himself because he wants eternal life, really bad, right? That's the important question here. How do I get eternal life? And he gives himself an answer. He says, I'll get eternal life by loving my neighbor as myself, loving, loving God with all my heart. But already in saying those two, he's made himself feel guilty and made himself think, okay, obviously I haven't done that very well, so I'm, I'm probably not gonna have eternal life, so how can I narrow this down a little bit to something that, that I can accomplish, I can, I can get through? So, he, so he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to say, okay, I don't have to love everybody though, right? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers with a story, still on the subject of who is my neighbor, but also on the subject of how do we get eternal life? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Or uh, another version says, he fell in among thieves. We've heard of fallen man, right? He was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes. They left him naked. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. The priest didn't help him. So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. He didn't help him. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now this is a pretty common theme in Jesus' story of his life on earth is that Jesus saw them and he had compassion on them. Jesus saw them and he took pity on them and that's why he healed them. That's why he fed them when they were hungry instead of sending them away. That Jesus constantly when he saw people in need, he had pity, he had compassion and he did something about it. What did Jesus come in riding into to Jerusalem on? Donkey? Okay, we'll keep going. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil, the spirit, and wine, the blood. Then he put the man on his own donkey he was on a journey, he hadn't reached his destination yet, but he came in riding on a donkey and he, he put the man on his donkey and brought him to the inn and he took care of him. The next day he gave out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in to the hands of robbers. Now, if we're, looking at this, if we're looking at this specifically for the question of, okay, trying to justify myself, who do I have to love, Jesus? The answer to who is the neighbor is the Samaritan. It says so in the next verse, too. Uh, but it is the Samaritan. So, okay, yes, we'll only love, we only have to love people who are really nice to us, give us money, take care of us, you know, they, they pick us up when we're down. Those are the people we need to love, right? Love my neighbor as myself, the neighbor is the Samaritan. But that's not really what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is really telling a story about how do we get eternal life. What I see in this is that Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who's on a journey. He hasn't gotten there yet at this point in his story. But he comes in riding on a donkey. He sees the man who had fallen into sin. He sees the man naked, uncovered, ashamed. And he picks him up. He puts him on his donkey. He pours on the oil of the spirit, he pours on the wine of his blood, he covers his sins, he takes him to the inn and he pays the price for him. And two denarii, by the way, that's, that's two days wage. That's, that's like a double portion right there. But not only does he get a double portion of grace right there at the end, but he says anything else, anything else that he wants to get, you know, when I come back, I'm gonna pay for it. You know, uh, 
we, we had a college and career night a while back. I was going to tell a story, but, but this, this guy came in, uh, a homeless guy came in during our, our college and career class and, you know, begging, begging for a place to stay, basically. And, you know, a few of us decided we were going to work together and we were going to get him a hotel. And, uh, you know, we, we knew we couldn't do much, but, like, maybe we can get him a chance, you know, because he said he was traveling or whatever, you know. We thought, whatever, we'll see what we can do. And uh, we, we got him a hotel room and, you know, we, we pulled a little bit of money. I put one night on my card, and we were just going to get him one night. Blake Arnold, he's not here today, but he, he put another night on his own card, just paid for it himself. He's like, I want to, you know, do some extra for this guy. And, but I remember walking away just thinking, like, at first, you know, you have this good feeling, that, hey, I did something nice for somebody. Then, like, a few hours later, I'm like, oh, my gosh. What if he, like, you know, rents a bunch of stuff on TV, you know, some, you know, whatever he might rent. Uh, you know, what if, he, what if he tears up the room, is doing drugs in there, and they come in there, and there's, like, all kinds of stuff, you know, murders somebody in the room, and I'm like thinking about all this stuff, like, oh gosh, you know, my credit card, <laughs> you know, like, what is gonna be on there? And I'm panicking, I'm like, I'm calling the hotel, I'm like, hey, make sure he can't purchase anything on TV, you know, I'm like, but, but Jesus in the story does exactly the opposite. Now, he doesn't say, okay, listen, nothing else, two denarii, that's all you get. Third chance, third strike, you're out, you know what I mean? Like, he says, whatever else he needs when I come back, I'll pay for it. That's God's grace for us, is that it's not just this, not just even that double portion that is so much more than we need. It's, it's more than enough that whatever, whatever we need forgiveness for, God is here for our forgiveness. Whatever we need provision for, God is here for our provision. Whatever you need victory in, God's grace is good enough for you to bring you through that in Jesus' name. And this is the story of God's love right here. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. That's why we love him. This is Jesus' love right here. Huh. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll go back to the verse for a minute. Let's just go to the last one, because he does say, you know, who is the neighbor to him? And he says, the Samaritan. And Jesus responds, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So that, that is a key there. You know, we're not gonna skip over that, that God isn't telling us to love people. He is. He says, go and do like the Samaritan. But we love because... He first loved us. So let's look at the third dimension of God's love here, depth. And we're gonna talk about God's presence here in the Holy Spirit, his presence with us, never leaving us or forsaking us. Uh, so a while back I read a, I read a business book, kind of a business book, an, an unusual business book, a book about business maybe I should say, it called Rework. And one of the, one of the things that caught me on it, you know, on the back where it has all the little random notes, uh, probably really what caught me on it was it was all scribbled, so that actually helped is that, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a scribbler, so it has scribbling all over the pages and all over the back, but, but one, of the, one of the keys that they decided to put on the back was imitate drug dealers. Okay, got me interested, got to find out what that means. Okay, and as a business, I should imitate drug dealers. Okay, so, but what they're talking about is, or one of the things they were talking about, and they had a lot of crazy ideas and I loved it, but, but what they were talking about is, hey, if you're a drug dealer, any drug dealers in here? You know? Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> one person. Like, where's, our, where's our policemen that come to church here? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but okay, it's okay for you to offer some free samples, right? Because the idea is you want to get them addicted. You want to get them coming back for more because in the long run, you're going to make money if you get them hooked on something, right? And businesses do this and it dri it'll drive me crazy because one of my favorite tools that I use on my computer all the time is Evernote. It's a note-taking program and it, I just do, anything I write, I write in Evernote. 
And uh, just the other day, after years of having the free version, they, they once again shrink what the free version is a little bit more. That they're like, okay, now you can only have it on two devices. I'm like, how many computers am I using to start right now? Before I gotta, you gotta start paying for it. And I was thinking about it because I'm so reliant on it. I have so many thousands of notes in this program that if they did completely get rid of the free version, would I be able to let go of it? Or would I start paying a monthly charge to use what was free before? I'd probably have to start paying a monthly charge. I'm pretty reliant on it. Like I said, I'm hooked. They got me hooked now. They imitated drug dealers. And maybe Jesus wasn't exactly imitating drug dealers. Maybe drug dealers were imitating Jesus. We'll go that way. Uh, but I think the disciples were probably pretty hooked on Jesus. You know, I mean, they'd, they'd been walking with Jesus for a few years, and it's just pretty lame to go back to just fishing after walking around with a guy who's raising the dead and, you know, opening blind eyes and all this. And then Jesus dies. Woo! Things were bad. Things were dark. Disciples were hiding out. Disciples were depressed. They had forgotten about his promise that he was going to come back. They didn't understand. And then he does come back, and then he says, I've, I've got to go again. You know, like, I've got to go back to the Father now. What would they have done without the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God with us. I'm telling you, those disciples were hooked and their life was ruined for normal. So the disciples waited for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit is Christ in us. The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit walking with us daily and we need it. We can't live off of just the stories of Jesus 2,000 years ago. We need God with us today. So the Holy Spirit Man, I mean, you, we see the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. When, in, when Peter's in jail and angel comes on walking in, just leads him straight out. God didn't leave him. God was with him in that moment. That when Paul and Silas are in prison, you know, it's a miracle that they got out, right? That the, the, the walls fell apart. The, the, that, yeah, that an earthquake came. You know, the chains were broken. Amen. Uh, you know, the walls came falling down. It was, they were just, they were free to run away, right? But beyond that miracle, what about the miracle that, man, they were in chains in prison just for doing the right thing and that they have the power and the presence of mind, I mean, and the joy and the peace to just start singing and praising God. That's the Holy Spirit with them, that they weren't separated from Jesus, but that they took Jesus in every situation. So not only were they set free, but first they had that freedom inside of them and that's the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're going through, Jesus is with you right now and his love is revealed in his presence that he will never leave you, that despite the mistakes you've made, despite the mistakes you will make, he's not just waiting for a chance to abandon you, but he is walking with you, he is walking through every situation with you. All right, going back for a minute, Graham was trying to answer the question of how many dimensions a cube could take before it finally met, met that one configuration, right? Dr. Haller mentioned actually last week that scientists believe, or a lot of scientists believe, that there are 11 dimensions. Some, some say 10, some say 11, some I think say 60 something. Uh, but the fourth dimension they're pretty well agreed on is, any sci-fi fans in here? Time. Time is the fourth dimension. So, I mean, I'm here, but I'm here on July 3rd, you know, 2016. I'm like having to think about the year for a minute, about semi-birthday. But yeah, so we're here, 
but we're here at this time. And so that's the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension, it's interesting that in Ephesians 3.16, it gives four dimensions for God's love. It says that we would grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep. Now, if we put that cube back up on the screen for a minute, might, it's kind of a messy cube, so that might not even make a lot of sense. But, but you can see, you know, along this right edge here, you can see the depth, we got the width, we got the height, but then where do we throw length in there? That doesn't make sense. So we can do length, width, height, depth. It doesn't, it doesn't add up quite right, right? There's no, why is there width, length, depth, and height? That just doesn't make sense with most objects. But when you start to think about a tree, when you start to think about a building, it starts to make more sense. It says, in fact, let's read uh, Ephesians 3, verse 17. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. So we have width, we have depth, we have depth down, we have a foundation that we have roots that we are established in, but what is built on that foundation? And number four, what we're gonna look at is God's love is revealed through his people. God's love is revealed to his people. We are the ambassadors of his gospel and of his love to the world. That we are the church. You are not the church. We are the church. The Bible doesn't say that you, by yourself, alone at home are the church. It says that we are the church. It doesn't say that this building is the church. We call it a church. But we are the church. And you do have the DNA of God in you. Amen. That was a powerful word that Frank gave just the other day on Tuesday. Frank gave a word that, that we have the DNA of our father. Yeah. That you know, you know, if, if you need to know whose father a kid, I mean, or who, if, a ki- if a father is a kid's father, can't get that out quite right, you have a DNA test because there are certain markers that they can recognize to show that is the son of, I am the son of my father. Well, you have the DNA of your father in heaven in you. You have the DNA of your father. That just as God was revealed through Jesus, God is being revealed to the world through you. Through us. That we are called to be, you know, a revelation of God to the world. That we're called to be ambassadors of God to this world. You need the church. You need this expression of God's love. You know, the blood flows in the body and it's, and it's, Interesting, like I said, this number, uh, Graham's number that was up here earlier, he, he actually, they've started to think maybe at 13 dimensions. Maybe at 13 dimensions, you have to have that one configuration with all sides, all angles being red, or all sides, all angles, all being blue. Maybe, but definitely by this giant, massive, unimaginable number, I can't even tell you how many arrows are in between it. We have to go through the whole process 64 times to even figure that out. Uh, but maybe by this gigantic number, you're gonna run into that. And that's really true of the church. You know, because you have needs, you have needs of of friendship, you have needs of fellowship, sometimes you need a word from God. And you know, yeah, you might have that one friend, you might have that one father in the faith who can speak into your life, but you never know when you walk into a church, who in that church is gonna be a blessing to you that day? Who in that church is gonna bring the word of God to you? That we're here for each other. And you know, with, with a multitude, you know, God is able to speak and move in all kinds of ways. God's able to provide for your needs in all kinds of ways. So, uh, you know, if you talk to people at the United Way, uh, they, they complain a little bit, I'll just say complain, uh, because 
People always come to them with their needs, which is what they're there for. But the thing is, they'll come there like, hey, I can't pay my electric bill, I can't pay my air conditioning bill, I can't, and they'll be like, okay, well, uh, where do you go to church? Can we talk to them? Like, no, I don't go to church. Okay, do you have any? Like, no, I don't have any friends, I don't have any family, I've kind of disconnected, I've burned all my bridges, so. So you have nobody who can give into your life. We need these relationships, we need these connections, we need this network, not, not just for our, our physical or our monetary needs, but for everything in our life, we need this because the blood flows through the body. We need the body of Christ. So we, rooted and grounded in love, need to go and do likewise, like Jesus said about the Good Samaritan, that we need to go and do likewise. We need to go show God's love. Now recently, I, I took up sort of a little project uh, trying to help out with someone here in the community. Uh, you guys might, you've probably seen something about it, but you've heard of Families Feeding Families, of course. They're, you know, pretty much the closest thing to a soup kitchen our town has. And uh, I've, our youth group had gone out there and volunteered a few times years ago. Really, it's been a long time. But recently, I heard that they didn't have air conditioning. They're working in the Oklahoma heat, cooking, washing dishes, and serving food with no AC. Uh, and that, it, to me, is just a nightmare. You know, I mean, I, I complain my house gets like 74 degrees. I'm like, man, fix this now, you know? But, uh, but they're working and serving. And for me, it was, part of what I was thinking is just like, you know what, since I don't help there, and I don't really feel like helping there that often, I wanna help the people who are helping there at least. Like, you know, I think everybody who's eating there deserves some air conditioning too, but I really wanna do something nice for the people who are donating and giving you their time to do this. So I, I'm trying to raise money for that. That's not really the point. But the point is that I kinda did it because I don't wanna volunteer there. And I've noticed in, in some situations where I do volunteer for things that I come in with a bit of an attitude like, hey, you know what, I don't have to be here, so I'm gonna do this my way. You know, anybody else do that? You, you help out with something, you come in and you're like, okay, you know, if, if, I, if this was my job and I'm getting paid for it, then you can tell me what to do. But I'm showing up to help out, so if I don't like the way you're doing it, I mean, I could leave, you know, so we, 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 don't have, we can go our separate ways, but if you want my help, I think this is gonna work better. Come in with a bit of that attitude sometimes. But don't be like that in your life with God because I think a lot of times we attempt big things as Christians. We attempt like, we're like, okay, tomorrow I'm gonna go out and you know, go witnessing or I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask pastor if I can preach or I'm gonna, you know, I wanna take over this ministry at church. And we do those things, not necessarily because that's where God's called us, but because we aren't willing to do the little things that the Holy Spirit's called us to do. And so we're like, okay, well, I passed up all these opportunities. I'll do something big to make up for it, right? Like, I'm not gonna volunteer at Families Feeding Families, but I'll help them raise some money so they can do the work, you know? I'm like, but guys, every day in our lives, the Holy Spirit presents us opportunities to be ambassadors of God's love. And we have to watch for and be sensitive to those opportunities and be willing to do the things that God has called us to do because we are the love of God to the world. Listen, most people in the world are, are never, most unbelievers in the world especially, are never gonna see Jesus face to face in this life. Some of them might experience the Holy Spirit, some of them might experience Jesus in, in unusual ways, but the way God has chosen primarily to reach this world for him is through us. So we have to be that deeper expression of God's love in this world.